Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Well, not too much going on today. On the other hand, yes, there is a lot going on. Let us get started. If you have a child at the Kenosha Unified School District, your plans changed dramatically last night when you got a notice advising that the schools that had opened up, at least seven schools that had opened up for in-person instruction because the parents wanted it and because the school administrators felt that they could do this safely, well, you found out last night that if you had made plans to go to work, etc., assuming your kids were going to school, guess what? Not going to happen. Why? Because there was an outbreak of COVID at, at the schools? No, no, no. There, I think since they've reopened, there's been a, a handful, two or three, confirmed cases of kids with COVID. Two or three. Why, then, are the schools going to virtual learning today? It's because there has been a massive what I am going to call a teacher sick out, a what some some people might describe as an illegal job action. What happened is 276 Kenosha school teachers have called in sick. Now, this comes on the heels of an announcement on Friday where the union, the teachers union, had called after two kids had tested positive for COVID-19. The president of the local teachers union called for the closure of schools and demanded that they reinstitute exclusive virtual instruction after two kids, two kids tested positive. So that happened on Friday and now the teachers massive sick out, 276 absences. Now, Let's think back to when the pandemic started, when we really didn't know what we were dealing with and we didn't have protocols and things like that. I don't remember hearing stories of massive sick outs called by hospital employees, for example, people in the health care profession who decided that, gee, you know, we we don't want to deal with patients, so we're not going to go in and, and do that. I don't remember hearing stories of massive organized sick outs among well, gee, all the people who were working for what we were calling the essential businesses. Don't remember hearing enormous numbers of Walmart employees deciding that they were going to call in sick because they didn't want to have to deal with, I know, people who, who might might test positive or might have COVID. And this is back before we really knew that much about how COVID spread. But essential workers have been coming in since the start of this. Healthcare workers have been coming in since the start of this. More and more people have been going back to work. And in Kenosha today, schools are closed down. And by closed down, I mean forced to go to virtual learning on very short notice because 276 teachers have called in sick. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, where where do we go from here? Now, clearly, this is, at least in my opinion, it is an organized job action where you have teachers who have decided we're not going to come into work. 
we're going to do the stuff from home or whatever. We're not going to be doing the first-person, in-person instruction, even though the Kenosha School District thinks it can be done safely, even though about 60% of the parents have chosen this, and even though there has not been any sort of massive outbreak. Like I say, we're talking about a handful of kids who have tested positive. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do the Kenosha schools handle this? Do they simply say, okay, the teachers, they're not coming in, they get to decide how the railroad is going to run, or does the school district, I don't know, start to play some hardball, say, okay, here, here's the deal. We want to start seeing doctor's excuses. And if it turns out that this is, these are unexcused absences done, I don't know, because you want, you don't like the fact that we're making people come back to work. Is it time to start saying, okay, maybe we need to move to plan B and maybe plan B is, I don't know, finding some teachers with um, with teaching certificates, et cetera, et cetera, people who can come in and take the place of the teachers who've decided that they don't want to show up and do their jobs. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Jeff, here's a text. You won't even go back to your office, but you want teachers to go in? Why don't you go into a classroom for a couple weeks? Well, I'm, I'm back at my office. I'm sitting in the studio. I've been here for months and months and months, 855-616-1620. Jeff, we now know why a whole generation of kids feel so self-entitled. They spend hours of day being taught by the most self-entitled bunch of employees that have ever walked the planet. How should Kenosha respond to this? My response would be, all right, you start to say, look, we are not going to put up with this. This is an unauthorized job action. And if you're going to call in sick, you better be prepared to prove that you're sick or... Or there will be consequences. We discuss in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, just to be clear, that this this job walkout, and that's what it, I think it essentially is. It's not all the schools. Here's the note, but it's seven. Uh, here's the note that went out last night. Good evening, Kenosha Unified School District families. We genuinely, genuinely apologize for this very late communication. Due to a surge of employee absences being reported for tomorrow, Monday, September 21st, we must move Bradford, Harborside, Indian Trail, Lakeview, Lincoln, Ruth, Ruther, I think, and Tremper to virtual learning for the upcoming week. So that would be the high schools and I believe the middle schools. Like I say, as, as far as I know, there were two positive tests at this Indian Trail, which is a middle school, and, and I'm not sure if there were any other positive tests, maybe one or two scattered throughout the rest of those schools. But it's not like there has been widespread and, and rampant outbreaks of COVID-19. 855-616-1620, Dwayne in Kenosha. Dwayne, you're on WTMJ. Yes, good afternoon. <clears throat> I live in Kenosha. My grandkids live in Kenosha. My problem is, why are the teachers not taking the parents into consideration? Uh, you know, the, the parents, they have to adjust their schedule. They have to call in and, and call off work themselves. I think it's very selfish. And I told your screener I would be writing pink slips but maybe that's a little bit harsh but i think some sort of disciplinary action needs to be done with these teachers well you know i mean i think the i guess i i look at this and i think the reality is if if you call in if you call in sick to your place of work 
what they're going to want to do is, I, I think they're they're going to want to verify that you are in fact sick, right? I mean, so I guess that that to me is the question here. I mean, if you've got people that are claiming they're sick, fine, let let's let's have them prove it. If it turns out that this is really just some sort of job action, well, then I think you do start imposing discipline. I mean, that's how most employers would handle it. Yeah, I just think they're putting an unnecessary burden on parents. Well, I mean, it, it is. It came. I mean, thanks for. I mean, it came with very, very short notice. That that's it. This was Friday. Friday, you have the head of the teachers union saying, "Hey, we've had two outbreaks. We've got and I, I use outbreaks. You had two kids at one of the schools that have tested positive for COVID nineteen. He says we we need to shut down all the schools, go to virtual learning. That's Friday, and then over the weekend, at least according to WTMJ Channel Four, you've got two hundred and seventy six employees, teachers who decide that you know they they can't come into work. Now, I think if you connect the dots, that tells me that it is a job action that they are are doing, and they've decided that." We don't care. We don't care about the parents. We don't care about the protocols that the school system is set up. We're just not going to work. And explain to me, with all the other people who have gone back to work, why in a socially distanced classroom it is so much more dangerous than, I don't know, people who are receptionists at dental offices or the people who are the clerks in the Walmarts or the bartenders or things like that. And the answer is it, it's not. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Joan in Kenosha. Hi, Joan. Joan? Joan, Joan, Joan. Okay. Robert in Bayside. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, great topic. Thank you. Uh, my daughter's a teacher in a rural district, is in the classroom, uh, teaches young children. Most of the day is trying to keep people clean, masks on, hands washed, bathroom breaks, all that kind of stuff. Um, very, very difficult situation. Um, and my wife teaches um, in an urban setting. I'll just put it to you that way, and it's, and it's virtual. Um I, I just see this as so difficult to try to keep kids, you know, to young kids or possibly even the older kids that say this is, you know, this is not real. Um, you know, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to wash my hands, you know, that kind of stuff. It, it's just such, it, it is so difficult to, to police this mm-hmm. cleanliness and, and uh, you know, spacing of people and everything. Um, I don't know. This is this is a situation. Well, I mean, and look, and I I, and and I I I understand. And there's people who don't feel comfortable about going back into the workplaces because of this. And I guess my my question would be, Robert, if if they're not going to go back now, when when do they go back? I saw one teachers union president say, well, I don't think we should have in-person classes until there's no more cases of covid, which means you're never going to have in-person classes because there's always going to be covid. I mean, what's at at what point in time do you say we're going to have the school kids go back to school? Well, I mean, the way I see it from the two sides that I hear it from, and of course they are family, um, that when there's a vaccine, that, that this can be done safely. Um, you know, do you, do you still have uh, schoolroom tours going through your, your radio station? I, I highly doubt it, um, just because of safety. You know, and when you get 30 people in a room, how do you police that? It's very difficult. Well, okay, thanks. I mean, th- th- do, do, we, do we still have 
tours going through the radio station? No, the, the, the building's closed other than to the employees, and there's different protocols that we have ended up setting up. And that's like all sorts of other businesses have set up their various protocols as well, like the school system has set up the, the protocols that they have. And again, it's not like you have this huge outbreak that, that has occurred. It's not like you have hundreds of teachers who've gotten sick. It's not like you've had large numbers of kids. I said Indian Trails is middle school. It's actually the high school down there. Um, but it's not like you've had hundreds of kids that have gotten sick or hundreds of teachers that have gotten sick. Let's call this what it is. It is a power play being launched by the, the teachers who don't want to go back to work. Okay, well, there's a lot of people who don't want to go back to work, including a lot of teachers who would probably prefer to stay home, but unfortunately, that's an inferior way of teaching kids. So the different schools across the state have set up these various protocols. Now, I think if you decide you don't want to live with that, that, they, that that's fine. I, I get it. If you decide, you know what, they want me to go back to work. They want me to come back into the workplace, but I don't feel comfortable with that. Now, I don't have a special I don't have a special situation. It's not like I'm a particularly vulnerable uh, person. You know, maybe, I mean, let's say you've got somebody, a teacher who's in their 30s, who's in good health, no underlying health conditions, but they decide, well, I just, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to go back in there. Okay, fine. That, that's fine. Well, maybe what you need to do is you need to decide, okay, if this is what my employer wants me to do, it's time for me to simply resign. Don't let the door hit me on my way out, as opposed to trying to stage one of these wildcat sort of job actions that are out there. Again, maybe you'd be more sympathetic. See, if you're the school district and you were looking at a true outbreak of COVID-19, all right, then, all right, my gosh, we've got 250 kids who've just gotten sick here. All right, let's let's do this. Okay, well, maybe there might be more sympathy. And my guess is if there was that type of outbreak, You'd have the school system that would be reacting to it, but they're not. And as far as the idea of when do you go back, well, I mean, Robert, and I appreciate it. He said, well, maybe not until there's a vaccine. Okay, moms and dads out there, let us assume that you're probably not going to have a widely distributed vaccine. Um, Dr. Fauci says he doesn't think until well into next year. Okay, so do you want to go another year or two with virtual instruction while we wait for a vaccine to come out and while we wait for a vaccine to be distributed, because the truth of the matter is, even once they start rolling out the vaccine, my guess is school age children are probably going to be on the they're, they're going to be the lower priority. Who are the first people that are going to get it? Well, it's going to be the people who are most vulnerable when it comes to the whole question of, you know, if, if you catch COVID-19. So unless we're sitting here saying, all right, we're now in a position where we're going to have virtual instruction for, I don't know, the next year and a half, you've got to get the kids back into the classroom. And by the way, if you look at all the school districts across the state that have, in fact, opened up, all right, maybe maybe you get into a situation where you have to close down for a week, but that's a decision that the school board ends up making. That's a decision the administration ends up making. If I were the, if I were the principals, if I were in the school board, I don't know if they've got the guts to do this, but here, here's the deal. You've called in sick. You've said that you can't show up. All right. If you're sick, prove that you are in fact sick. 
And if you can't prove that you're sick, well, then what we're going to start doing is we're going to make you take vacation. In extreme situations, you know, maybe we're going to look at job actions if you're, in fact, lying and claiming that you're sick when you're really not sick. But the bottom line is this is nothing but a job action power play by the teachers union. And if the teachers union did not want to be in school, what they should have done is they should have used the political power they have to try to leverage that get the school board to go all virtual. But once the decision has been made to simply say, well, we don't like that decision, so we're not going to show up, I think is unconscionable. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. Matter of fact, yesterday, playing golf, was wearing a shirt that somebody from Great Midwest Bank had given me a couple years ago. I mean, I was... I was showing the colors there. It's one of my great golf shirts. Um, anyways, this week's sponsor for the Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, our senior realty experts, Bruce and Gene Nimovitz, from selling to downsizing and so much more. Visit brucesteam.com. All right. Now, some perspective here, and that this is, this is fair. Um, I have a note from one of our listeners in Pleasant Prairie. He says, Jeff, I- I'm not using my real name. But my wife is a teacher in the Kenosha Unified School District. Please understand this action does not reflect the feelings and choices of all the teachers in the district. My wife is not happy with the actions of the teachers that ended up calling in. Um, Yes. Jeff, are any of those teachers who called in today shopping at the grocery store or target and expecting others to work when they won't well I, that's a that's a fair question as well but yeah so i mean for for anybody out there who might think this is anything other than what it really is which is that this effort to say we don't care what the rules are we know better we're not showing up there's a lot of teachers down in kenosha who apparently aren't happy with their colleagues who decided well we're just not going to show up today because well Two kids got COVID at one of the schools, so we're not going to show up. Wonderful. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We will discuss this more perhaps later on in the show, but whenever whenever our news reporters do the the, the COVID numbers and the, the number of people who've confirmed positive, et cetera, et cetera, we always hear from a number of people saying, well, you're not giving the whole picture. You know what? You, you, you should tell the, the total number of tests. And we, we've um, just recently passed 100,000 positive tests, 101,227 as of um, as of. I, the 20th, which would be yesterday. Um, so you have 101,000 of the number of people tested, 1,433,000. So the, the overwhelming majority of people, and I, again, I offer this only for some perspective, not to, you know, not to downplay the effects of COVID, but the, the overwhelming number of people who are, are tested, you know, don't test positive for it. And that's just the bottom line. So of the people who then test positive, okay, so 101,000 positive tests, 86,000 recovered, 14,000 active. And and by active, that means people who've tested positive um, within like the last 30 days and, and that they, they haven't 
they're within that 30 day period. So, I mean, the, the, the bottom line of all this is again, not, not downplaying the significance, but people, and I think it is a fair thing to say, you know, you hear the one number, oh, there's another 1600 positive tests today. And, and it is, I mean, mask mandates don't appear to be working. People, um, are, people are, are getting infected, you know, higher, percentage on a higher number per day, day after day after day. But still, the positive number is 101,000. The overwhelming majority of people who get COVID end up recovering. Nobody wants to get it. No one gets sick. But it's not like it is a death sentence for the vast majority of people. Um, 1,242 people have passed away as a result of that since the pandemic. That's 1.2% of the people who test positive. Um, So... Then by the time you add in the people who test negative and then the overall population, it's dramatically down. But nevertheless, th- those are the numbers to offer you from perspective on this. All right. As if we did not have enough things going on in the fall of 2020, as if we didn't have enough issues with the pandemic that we are dealing with, as if we didn't have enough issues with the, I don't know, the the turbulence in the the economy, people losing their jobs, stock market down 712 points. That's the Dow. The only the only good news about the stock market being down 712 points as we speak is it was down over 900 points earlier today. Actually, the NASDAQ is only down 87 points, which is, I mean, it, it's still down, but that's that's not a huge drop like the Dow. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But you've got, okay, the economy. You've got the pandemic. You've got the, the social justice issues, which are out there. You've got the the climate stuff. You've got the hurricane that that hits uh, Alabama and Florida and Mississippi. You've got the wildfires that are raging on the West Coast. So you've got all this stuff going on. And then you have an election. And I'm, I, I think it's kind of a cliche to say it's the most important election in the history of the country. All elections are important. All elections have consequences on, on all the sides, regardless of who it is that you support. But in this particular election, we have an electorate that I think is more divided, perhaps, than ever. Now, I remember when President Bush was running for re-election in 2004, we, we had a very, very polarized electorate there. But it wasn't polarized so much on, on the personalities. It was people were polarized by the, the president's decision to get us involved in, in foreign wars. So it, it was... There was there was an element of, of personal to it, but it was based in some respects on on policy. Well, okay, now it's it's policy to an extent, but it's really personal. People either despise Donald Trump; they either just think President Trump is the absolute antichrist, unfit for public office, or they think that President Trump walks on water. There there really is very very little you know, middle ground between it. And so I think that's made the electorate even more volatile than than ever, if that is in fact possible. So into that huge mix, what happens? Nine members of the United States Supreme Court, five who tend to lean conservative, four who tend to lean liberal. Let me just say this at the beginning. That that's sometimes the it's not like I don't know, electing Republicans and Democrats. I mean, you, you can have, you can have judges who, who lean liberal and sometimes 
They vote with their conservative brethren. Sometimes you have conservative justices who surprise people and they vote with some of, of the liberal wings. The art, the law is an art. It is not a science. And, and different judges analyze things in, in different ways. But there's five who tend to be conservative. There's four that tend to be liberal. At least now there's three because on Friday, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg ended up passing away. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was one of the probably the liberal the current liberal lion on the court um she's was you know referred to as the notorious you know rbg with bader ginsburg she was beloved by the left and i i think um for for good reasons i mean there's there's no question you know, justice ginsburg was brilliant you might not always have agreed with her positions but she was a trailblazer for women and um, again, you might not have agreed with her positions. The law is an art, not a science. You know, but but give her a, a lot of credit. She was brilliant in advancing her theories. Doesn't mean that she was necessarily right all the time. Doesn't mean that you would have necessarily agreed with her. But you have to give her credit for being brilliant. In any event, she passed away. All right. So here's what this means. Right now, the Republicans control the White House. Donald Trump is the president. The Republicans at this point in time control the U.S. Senate. The Senate confirms appointments to the U.S. Supreme Court. It is a lifetime appointment. So right now there are 53 Republican senators. There are 47 Democratic senators. If President Trump were to send a name to the Senate, the Senate, as long as you didn't lose, um, more than three senators, because if it's a tie 50-50, the vice president breaks that. So you've got you got three senators that you could afford to lose on an appointment. You could still get that vacancy filled. President Trump says he will make a Supreme Court nomination. He will send the name to the Senate either on Friday or Saturday. He's waiting until after uh, Justice Ginsburg's funeral. So he's Um, He says, but either Friday or Saturday, he will send the nomination of a new Supreme Court justice to the Senate. Now, that would be extraordinary in, in most cases, but it's particularly controversial now because we have an election coming up in less than two months where it is entirely possible, if you believe the polls, that President Trump will lose that election. But right now, he is the president. If you believe some of the polls, it is entirely possible that the Republicans will lose their Senate majority. It might be that the Democrats will control the Senate. So if the Republicans, if President Trump weren't to send up a name, if the Republican Senate wasn't to act on this, um, I think if you, you know, follow at least the polls, chances are Joe Biden will be able, would be able to fill that vacancy when he takes over in January and The Democrats would pretty much be able, if they control the Senate, they'd be able to decide who gets on. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, let's go where angels fear to tread. Should the Republicans go ahead and fill that vacancy, even though there is an election coming up? 855-616-1620. Send out a tweet when all this happened on either Friday or Saturday. My prediction is the Republicans are going to fill the seat. And they're going to do it because they can. Elections have consequences. Just like we we had the economy shut down in Wisconsin because Tony Evers won the election. 
Elections have consequences. We have the Affordable Care Act because Barack Obama won the election in 2008 and Democrats controlled both the House and the Senate. And since elections have consequences, I think the Republicans will, in fact, go ahead and fill that. I know when Barack Obama was heading out of office, they didn't fill the Merrick Garland seat. I think that's a little bit different. Republicans are going to do it, I, I think. And you know what? I understand why they're going to do it. And there's going to be consequences from that action. But they're going to fill it. 855-616-1620. Should they? We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. John on the uh, north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good. What do you think? Okay, I think that, uh, you know, Lindsey Graham and them, you know, uh, you know, I mean, we got you know, he said what he said, and then they wouldn't let President Obama do it, you know, so what's the hurry? You know, I mean, just, just I just think it should wait. I really do. I, I mean, just wait, and, and then we say, I mean, who says that the president might not get back in? He may get back in. Then he can do it. You know, I just don't feel like that uh, that is right for them to keep changing their mind. I'm confused. I really am. Well, you know, a person say something this well, year. Well, John, I'm th- thanks for calling. I mean, I, 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 will, I will ease your confusion as, as to why they would do this. Why the Republicans would do it, it's because they can. <laughs> and I don't mean to be flip about that, but this is, this is what I say with elections have consequences. You know, people are texting me, what's the difference between now and 2016? The difference is that the Republican, okay, that was a Democrat, Barack Obama, who, who was the president. It was a Republican Senate. The Republicans did not want to confirm a Democrat appointee. They wanted to wait to see if that they wanted to wait to see if um, Hillary Clinton was going to win. There was a risk, by the way, to that strategy, because the risk was if Hillary Clinton won, um, you know that the appointment that was going to come out was going to be somebody who was a lot more liberal um, than than Merrick Garland was. So that was the risk that the Republicans ran by deciding that we're, we're going to delay this. Now, as it turned out, the risk from the Republican perspective, they, they won because Trump ended up winning and then you got conservatives on there. But but there was a, a risk that was there. But I mean, I'm not searching necessarily for intellectual consistency. The bottom line here is it, it's this is political power. Just like, you know, the, the Democrats had the Affordable Care Act because they, they could. They, they won the Senate. They won the Congress. They won the House of Representatives in 2010. So they could. In this particular situation, Barack Obama didn't have the horses. He, he You know, the Republicans controlled the Senate. If the Democrats had controlled the Senate in 2018, I guarantee you that they would have moved quickly and they would have filled that seat. I guarantee you. As a matter of fact, if you don't believe me, I, I spent about a half hour this morning looking through comments from existing from Democratic senators who were in office in 2016 and to a person almost uh, to a person everyone said well no of, of course it's, it's too important to leave this vacant we need to we need to fill the seat before the election okay so they were when barack obama was the president you have the democrats who were encouraging yeah we, we got to fill the seat so now they're saying no let's let's not fill the seat i mean look it's just it's political power on, on both sides and at this point in time it is the republicans that hold the cards and yeah that's why they're going to go ahead and 
I will be shocked if they do not do it. You can have a couple Republicans who say, okay, we're not going to do this. The senator from Alaska says she doesn't think they should do it. Uh, Susan Collins from Maine says, I don't think we should do it. Those are political decisions because Susan Collins is up for re-election, etc. But my guess is they're going to go ahead and they're going to do it. And for people who say, well, you you wanted to take a different approach a couple years ago. Yeah, they, they did because... Now they have the power to do it. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Mike in Menominee Falls. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Uh, yeah, thanks for taking sure. my call. I, I agree with everything you, you said. I mean, it's spot on. It's basically the whole thing has become, I mean, over-the-top political and people just going back and forth, and you can call people out on both sides of the aisle. Yep. To me, personally, I mean, I think despite, I mean, Gutenberg's dying wishes or anything, um, I think the position itself is, I mean, you're supposed to basically, you know, report to the Constitution and you want a very apolitical person to be in that position of power. I think if the Republicans vote on it now and push somebody through, you're going to have this six to three swing. Me personally, I would like to see them wait because I think it balances it out if Biden does win. But if Trump is as confident as he says he is that he's going to win, you know, and get four more years, I guess why not wait a couple more months and, you know, go through the hearings in a proper way. Well, I mean, I, I think thanks. For, I mean, I, I understand, you know, Trump might say he thinks he's going to win. But from the perspective of conservative activists, that that's a that's a huge risk to take because he may very well not win. So that's a huge risk that you end up taking. And I, I, I don't think the Republican faithful are going to put up with that. I think there's going to be incredible pressure to go ahead and blast through and, and confirm be, again because they can. Now, if you want to talk about what I think is one of the more interesting questions, which is, do, do we need to should we perhaps reassess how we we you know appoint Supreme Court justices? And do we need to perhaps reassess I don't know whether or not it should be a lifetime appointment. See, I, whether it's whether it was Justice Ginsburg or anybody, I, I admit, I just giving federal judges of any stripe just lifetime appointments to me. I, I think, I think there's always a point in time when people need to exit the stage. And what happens is you have all these justices who decide that that they hang on because, gee, I don't want to quit because I was appointed by a Democrat and I want to make sure there's another Democrat that gets the appointment. I'm not sure that that's good for a public policy perspective so i mean i but i'm open to that but the bottom line here is look this has been politicized for years and years but it always used to be that a president's choice gets on to the supreme court unless they're a crook or just completely and totally unqualified that changed that changed when Robert Bork was, was appointed back in, in the 80s. And the, the Democrats decided, OK, we're going to go against We're going to go after this guy ideologically. Then you had the, the whole attacks on, on Clarence Thomas. And and so it, it's become very, very politicized. I think you can make a strong argument that it was the Democrats that, that ratcheted up the, the politicization of the, the Supreme Court appointments. But but I'll accept the fact that both sides do it. Bottom line of all this is that, again, Republicans have the power to do it. Um, some people say, oh, there's going to be electoral consequences. I don't know. Come on. I mean, I, I was listening to that back you know, earlier this year. Oh, the president's been impeached. That That's going to have a huge impact on the election. I mean, seriously, do you think anybody who's going to vote for either Joe Biden or for Donald Trump is thinking about the impeachment proceedings months ago? And just like nobody that I think votes in November is going to be thinking about whether or not, gee, they, they decided to go ahead and, and appoint somebody or, or not. Now, they're going to resent the fact 
fact that their side didn't get an appointment or they're going to applaud the fact that their side got one. But the process itself, it, it seems to me that as far as electoral backlash, don't think it's going to happen. Okay, I want to talk about a different aspect of this coming up in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Just when you thought it was over, they make it interesting. The Brewers, well, let's face it, it's been kind of a mediocre year at, at best. But now, with one week left in the season, eight games left, They've kind of clawed their way back. I mean, they, they swept Kansas City, so they're now back to 500 and eight games left. And it, it's the, the different the, the different permutations are, are just it, it's almost impossible to try to figure out. But the bottom line is, what do you think, Rue? If they, if they win, if they win six out of the remaining eight games, they're probably definitely in. And if they win five out of the eight going five and three, most likely they're they're in. I think that would be kind of the best way to say it. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. I believe they're a game behind uh, the Reds, both the Reds and the Cardinals. We're a couple games behind the Cardinals, but one game behind the Reds. Um, and, yeah, I think uh, they're one game behind the Cardinals too. But as well, but, oh, okay. yeah, right, exactly. But so it, the way it works is there's three divisions, and so the top two teams in each division um, go in, and then the next two teams with the best record. So there, there's eight teams. And obviously, what you'd like to do is finish second, but you, you know, because then you automatically go in. And again, it's, it's just, and they play all the, they've got three games against the Reds. They got five games against the Cardinals, I think is how this works out. So they're playing the teams that they're tied with or they're slightly in front of them. But bottom line is five and three. I think pretty much assuredly gets you in to one of those playoff spots. Four and four might, but. You know they're they're in this situation, but it's fine. I mean, I, candidly, um, I don't know. You, I understand it's a weird season and it's a shortened season and stuff, but it's the last week of the season. And the games matter; they all matter. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens once we face the Cardinals because we got two double headers, and uh, obviously those will be seven inning games. So, which right. kind of pitchers are we going to throw out there, and hopefully right. just get it all done very quickly. Interesting, but in, and all the games are on the road, so yesterday was the last game, the last home game, which also means the last game at the stadium that we called Miller Park, because starting next season it's not going to be Miller Park anymore. Anyways, it's interesting, and you can hear all the games here on WTMJ, and of course, Packers off to a to a great start. You know, who, who knows where the season is going to go, but one of the things is a, a lot of the national prognosticators were, were writing off the Packers. They said, look, the, the Packers last Last year, it was it was an aberration. They they were doing it with mirrors. Yes, they were thirteen and three, but they won a, a disproportionate amount of short of, of of close games. Normally, you, you're not going to win all those close games. The Packers, like everything, almost went every, almost everything went right for them. Well, okay, so we think that they're going to come down to earth, and, and maybe that will ultimately be the case. But the bottom line is, you can't go sixteen and zero unless you go two and zero. So they've won their first two games, and that's a great start. And uh, it's you know, I I will tell you, I saw them against Minnesota. Minnesota looks like they're a dumpster fire. Detroit looks like they're Detroit. Chicago has won two games, but Chicago. Uh, they, they played New York, and the New York Giants and Detroit, which are arguably two of the worst teams in football. So, you know, it's not a bad time to be a Packers fan and an interesting week for the Brewers. And again, you can hear all that action here on News Radio 620 WTMJ. All right. My, my, my start off to this. 
And this is a follow-up to what we talked about in the last half hour of the program, about filling the spot. My, my, my start off is to say, just because you might be able to do things doesn't mean that it is a good idea. And what am I talking about? There are already people saying, if Joe Biden gets elected, which the polls suggest he's going to, and the Democrats retake control of the U.S. Senate, what the Democrats should do is change the rules and increase the number of members of the Supreme Court. Right now, there are nine members of the Supreme Court. If that position is filled, there will be six who lean Republican, who lean conservative, three who lean liberal. So the thinking is Congress should add positions to the Supreme Court. Let's put four new Supreme Court justices on that Biden can appoint and we'll swing, we'll swing the, the, the tilt, we'll tilt the Supreme Court to the liberals. Now, follow me on this. And this is, this is Professor Jeff. A little bit of education here. Did you know that the Constitution doesn't specify the number of Supreme Court justices. Well, if you didn't, it, it doesn't. Now, here's the deal. As a ma- the Constitution says you have to have a Supreme Court, but it doesn't specify the number of judges. Here's the, the history of this. When the Supreme Court was created in 1780, this is something you can share with your families at dinner time. there were six justices. Huh, I'm not sure how that worked out with an even number. 1807, it went up to seven. 1837, it went up to nine. 1863, during the Civil War, it went up to ten. 1866, after the Civil War, it went down to seven. 1869, it went back up to nine justices. There have been nine justices on the U.S. Supreme Court since 1869. But... Like I said, the Constitution doesn't specify the number of justices. So Congress does. So Congress, the Senate, and the House, with the approval of the president, who has to sign off on the legislation, the con- Congress could increase the number of justices if they wanted to. Now, the number of justices has been fixed since 1869. You might remember from your history books, there was a controversy when FDR was was in power, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and he was trying to push through the New Deal. And he was frustrated because you had members of the Supreme Court that kept ruling against him and saying some of the things that he was doing were unconstitutional. So what, what Roosevelt wanted to do is he wanted to do what was called packing the court. There were nine justices. He wanted to increase the number of justices on the Supreme Court up to 15. And what Roosevelt wanted to do is he wanted to say, okay, I've got all these old conservative justices on. Well, I can't force them to retire because the Constitution says you're appointed for life. But here's what I want to do. For every justice that turns 70 and refuses to retire, I want to be able to appoint a new justice up to 15. So that's what they called the court packing scheme. Roosevelt tried to get Congress to allow him to increase the number of justices so he could put his people on. Congress did not go along with that. So that whole idea is back. And the argument is now, if the Republicans fill the vacancy, which they're going to, they're going to do it. So you've got six conservatives, three liberals, 
liberal justices and six conservative-leaning justices, even though, like I say, sometimes they surprise you. The argument is what a Democrat-controlled House and Senate should do for President Biden is they should add at least four justices. Let's increase the number of justices to 13. Let's give Biden four brand new appointments, and that way you can have seven liberals and six conservatives. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, is this a good idea? I mean, is it a good idea? I mean, you've got some people who are upset with the idea that you're going to have, gee, a conservative-leaning court for the foreseeable future. This is the easy way to around it. Let's just, I mean, who who cares? Just because it's been this way for 150 years doesn't mean it can't change. So let's, let's go to 13 justices, or let's go to 15 justices, or let's go to 17 justices. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we go down this route? My answer is not just no, but heck no. I'll explain why, but what do you think? Is this the easy way around it? Let's just increase the number of members of the court. So in this particular case, because elections have consequences, I always say that. So in this particular case, all right, if the Democrats win, we'll give them enough appointments to swing the Supreme Court. All right. What happens if they do that? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a minute. Would this be a good idea? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A couple of people texting in saying, how would the Democrats take control of the Supreme Court with appointments? Well, okay, it's simple. The number of members of the Supreme Court is not set by the Constitution. It's set by statute. So right now, there are nine justices on the Supreme Court. That's been the way since 1869. All right, but let us say Joe Biden wins. In late January, he becomes President Biden. Let's say the Democrats retain control of the House of Representatives. Nancy Pelosi is still the Speaker. Let's say the Senate is able to swing seats. Right now, it's 53-47 Republican, but let's say they're able to swing it. So the Senate takes over. Uh, the Democrats control the Senate. Democrats control the House. Democrats control the White House. Nancy Pelosi drafts a bill saying, we are going to increase the number of justices on the Supreme Court. We're going to take it from nine to 13. The Senate goes along with that. The president, President Biden, signs it into law, and that gives him four appointments. Now, now the appointments are for life. That's what the Constitution says. So then you could have, okay, four appointments. So then you have seven liberal-leading justices, six conservatives. I mean, there's nothing that says it has to be four. You could say we're, we'll make it six. You know, you, you could do whatever you theoretically wanted to do. All right. Now, I think there's a lot of reasons why that is a bad idea. And, you know, once you start changing the rules like that, you, you see all sorts of problems. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Ross and Cudahy. Ross, you're on WTMJ and Cribbits. I'm sorry. Good afternoon. Oh, Mr. Wagner, I have a better idea instead of that naked power grab. You should probably just fix the number of judges at nine, pass a constitutional amendment, and have them serve 18-year terms with each president appointing two justices during his four-year term. I would start by having the oldest justice retire first and just get the rotation going. 
you know, I uh, Ross, you are not just a pretty face because <laughs> I, I, I think rather than increasing the numbers, if you wanted to change things, I, I don't know if if your idea of the the eighteen year terms is the best or whether it be twenty years or whatever. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think the problem is. It's really with the lifetime appointments as opposed to other sort of stuff because you have people who just hang on and hang on and hang on. Um, whereas if there was a degree of turnover, I think that that would be just good all around. No, thanks for calling. I, 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 oh, go ahead. Yes, and by having the oldest judges first, you kind of get a mandatory retirement age yeah. in that, and you don't have people hanging on longer than they should. Right. No, thanks, thanks for calling. I mean, you had... And look, and I, I I don't mean this to be ageist because I'm closer to I'm closer to 80 than I am to 35. Okay, but but at the same time, I mean, you you have the, these justices who hang on and hang on and hang on because gee, I want to I want to wait this out. I want to see if I can live long enough to see that there's a Democrat who who takes over because I'm a, I'm a Democrat leaning justice or vice versa. I mean, it happens both ways, and so you have people who are serving into their 80s or into their 90s with that lifetime appointment. You wouldn't have to fool with all this stuff if there was some degree of reasonable turnover. Ross is saying, you know, 18-year terms. And I guess theoretically, you could always be subject to reappointment, you know, to be re-upped or something like that. I'm not saying the Supreme Court is perfect, but my question is, let's say you do something like this. Okay, so this time around, the the Democrats decide we're going to take control. We've got the power to do this, so we're going to add four seats. Okay, so now, Joe Biden, you get you get a majority. You get seven, and the Republicans have six. Okay, so what happens then in 2024 when the Republicans take over? And, and believe me, I've been doing this long enough. There are pendulums. You know, there, there are pendulums. Some years the Democrats are in, some years the Republicans are in. There are pendulums that do this. So 2024, you have a President Nikki Haley. You have the Democrats, who the Republicans who have control of the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. So what do they then do? Okay, well, we're going to, we're going to appoint a, another four justices. We're going to add those to the court because we've got the votes to do that. So now we're going to have a majority of 10 to 7. And then four years later or eight years later, that the scene switches back to the Democrats under control. Follow this, and then they decide, well, we're going to have another eight. Pretty soon you've got a Supreme Court that's 249 members. And, and if you don't think it could happen, I'm here to tell you it it could. It could. Let's talk to uh, Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Um, first of all, it's a bad idea. Um, secondly, it, even in today's highly politicized environment, I'm not convinced it would go anywhere. Um, I, I look. You, you referenced President Roosevelt's um, uh, intent to pack the court. Right. I, I believe he did that after the 1936 election, in which he had won 47 of the 48 states at the time. So, despite his popularity, he couldn't get it done. Um, so, again, I, even if, if if it's proposed, I, I, I can't imagine all the Democratic senators uh, going along with it. And one other item, I don't have any specific examples. Maybe you as a lawyer would be able to relate to this, but it seems to me after Roosevelt was unsuccessful in his attempt to add seats to the court, the decisions strangely began to go his way after <laughs> his ill-fated attempt. 
Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think so. I guess I don't. I don't have enough. I don't have an opinion on that one way or the other because I, I'm just. I, I was actually trying to think about some of the cases that that came up, but but yeah. See, this is see this is the problem, and you know, and I, I'll tell you. Currently, you know, recently, you know, if you if you you're thinking, oh, this is a mess, and you you want to lay it all on the steps of the Republicans. I mean, this. I want to tell you the the, the current problem goes back to November of 2013, and it involves Harry Reid. Harry Reid used to be the leader of the Senate. Okay, in 2013, the Democrats controlled the Senate. Barack Obama was the president. Okay, what happened is there was a Senate rule. It was just a rule. There was a Senate rule that said for appointments, what you could do is you needed 60 votes. There was a filibuster. The U.S. Senate had this filibuster so that theoretically the minority party could block appointments that the majority wanted. Harry Reid did away with the, he changed the rules so that federal judicial nominees and executive office appointments could advance to confirmation by a simple majority of the senators. And that's because Reid and President Obama were upset that they thought the Republicans were using the filibuster to stop appellate court justices that judges that Obama wanted to stop them from getting through. So they changed the rules. They said, okay, let's, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to change this rule. We're going to do away with the filibuster. And I remember sitting in this very seat at the time and saying repeatedly, be careful what you wish for, because once you change that rule, you have now set that precedent. And, and sure enough, what happened is Democrats lost control of the U.S. Senate, and then in 2016, you had a Republican president that came in, and now you had all these Democrats who were saying, well, well, wait a second, you know, Trump is trying to, Trump wants all these, these really conservative appointments, and we have nothing, we can't stop them. And yeah, you, you can't. And that's because Harry Reid in 2013 changed the rules. And then there were a couple modifications after that. But I, I'm just saying, when, when you start doing this stuff, because it, it helps you for the moment, well, well, maybe it helps you for a moment, but big picture, you got to remember, hey, two years down the line, there's going to be another election. Four years from now, you're going to have, you know, a, another presidential election. And you, you really do wonder, do we want to be in a situation where just because it seems expedient at the time, we're going to have, I don't know, 222 judges and justices on the Supreme Court. And if you don't think it could happen, well, it, it actually could. Bottom line is the this country works, and I understand. I, I understand we have problems. I understand that there are flaws in this system. But you know what? The, the bottom line is the the structures we have worked, and when you start monkeying with them because you're trying to get a, a temporary political advantage, you got to be real careful because that pendulum does swing. So I understand if President, if we're talking about a President Biden in February of this year, and you're talking about the Democrats controlling both arms of Congress, there's going to be pressure to try to do this. My advice would be don't, because there might be a President Nikki Haley in 2024, and then that's going to be a whole different story. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So tomorrow is the first day of fall, which means what? It's the autumnal equinox, which means 
The days just keep getting shorter and shorter, leading to the end of the year, which means the days are going to get colder and colder as well. What happened? What happened to summer? What can you say? Hey, um, okay, the days are getting shorter, and you're actually running out of time to enter the, this great contest that we have going on. And I, I, I've been trying to talk about it really in sort of personal terms over the course of, of the last week or two, just because I think some people hear this and they say, okay, th- this this must be some advertising ploy or this is something that we're going to use to try to sell timeshares or something like that. No, no, it's not. Here, here's the deal. Do you own a local business or do you know somebody who does? Well, one small business could win a $50,000 advertising campaign. Um, and th- this is this is legit. That's right. News Radio 620 is teaming up with our friends at Associated Bank to help local businesses grow and succeed through these challenging times. So what's going to happen is one company that is nominated and participates, they're going to win an ad campaign valued at $50,000. There's no strings attached to this. That's that's what th- this is. It's a great prize. So here, here's how you can get all the details. Um or to nominate a company, go to this website that we've created. It's called RebuildingWIBusiness.com. That is RebuildingWIBusiness.com. Now, the deadline for entering is September 27th. So that's coming up essentially at the end of the week. Which this is the 21st, right? So one deserving business walks away with an ad campaign valued at $50,000. Time, however, is running out. Head to RebuildingWIBusiness.com now for entry details and the official contest rules. Associated Bank is a member of the FDIC. All right. During the last couple segments, we were talking about the Supreme Court and the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I, I alluded to, and a couple of the texters and a couple of callers alluded to, one of the one of the problems I have with our, our federal judicial system is the fact that you have lifetime appointments. Now, the reason people are appointed to the, the judiciary for life, the, the thinking was we want to insulate judges from, from political pressures. And, and the idea is if you're appointed for life, you, if, you, if you never have to run for an office or you don't have to appease, you know, the the president of or the party in power. You, you'll you'll come out with better decisions. That that was the thinking on that, and and I understand the, the rationale behind it. But and and this is a huge but. The the problem is, we all we all slow down a, as we age. That's just an unfortunate re- reality. Um, my my guess is. Perhaps you don't see as well if you're 60 as you did when you were 25. And and there is a point where that, that aging process, it, it accelerates. I, I think most people, if they were honest, would say, gosh, at the age of, of 75, for example, even though they're, they're, they're sharp, they're, they're not perhaps as sharp as they were at, at 45. And people would say, I think at the age of 85, even the, the most active, the best 85-year-old would say, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of losing some of my edge. I, w- I was sharper at 60. And, and maybe there's going to be some exception somewhere. And I'm not saying that people, for example, in their 80s can't be healthy and can't be sharp and things like that. I'm just saying that skills deteriorate over time. That is the reality that's there. That's why you have kind of retirement ages, because people, you know, reach a certain point where, okay, okay, I'm not up, 
I, I don't have the stamina I had. I, I just, the, the mental acuity is not quite what it was. And it's not an indictment. It's not saying that people, again, aren't smart or, or can't pay attention or things like that. But we, we slow down as we get older. That's just human nature. Except what happens with these federal judges is they have lifetime appointments. And there's really nothing that can be done to cause somebody to leave if they don't want to leave. And so you have, again, Supreme Court justices, and I, I, I don't mean to pick on Justice Ginsburg, who, you know, hangs around, but, you know, she had all sorts of health issues and things like that, and she was in her 80s, and she's, like I said, a brilliant jurist. But, I mean, typically, by the time most people are in their, their mid-80s, they're they're on to that next phase of their life instead of trying to be, you know, on the Supreme Court when, again, skills are starting to fail a little bit, typically because of health things. And it, and you see this, it's not Justice Ginsburg per se, but it's other sort of justices as well, or federal judges, or all these things. As we get older, our skills tend to atrophy, which brings us to what I want to discuss with you next. I know, personally, at least a handful of people who know and who have worked with Joe Biden over the years. And Joe Biden has been around politics for decades and decades. He has a I look, I don't care if you love Biden or hate him. He has a long and storied career of public service, and, and he deserves credit for that. You might disagree with him. You might agree with him. Chances are maybe you think some of the stuff he did was great. Some of the stuff wasn't. But but regardless, he has a long and storied career of, of public service. He is also, what, 77 or 78 years old. And one of the things that's happened because of COVID-19 is he hasn't had to run a, a traditional sort of campaign. You know, they were able to kind of put him in his home in, in Delaware and do do stuff via video conference or you know, a, a limited number of speeches. He, he hasn't been out running this full schedule. And because of the way this is all shaping up, it, it, I'm not sure that he necessarily has to do that. I mean, the thinking is just keep him in the basement, don't have any sort of major gaffes, and, and you're going to beat down. Donald Trump, because people don't like President Trump, period. Well, okay, that, that's all well and good. But you, you you look at some of the things that, that Joe Biden is doing, and even in his limited situations, the campaign trail, and the, it's eyebrow-raising. For example, you know, he, he's giving a speech in Philadelphia the other day where, you know, he, he says 200 million people have died of the coronavirus in the U.S., 200 million. If Donald Trump had his way, the complications from COVID-19, which are well beyond what they should be, it's estimated that 200 million people have died probably by the time I finish this talk. Okay, well, the the, the actual number, I mean, there's like 328 million people in the U.S. So 200 million would mean that two-thirds of the people in the country have died because of coronavirus, which isn't true. He he meant 200,000 instead of 200 million. Now, it is entirely possible, and believe me, I, I know this as somebody who makes his living during spoken, doing spoken word radio and sitting for hours and hours every week in front of an open microphone, it is, it is very possible to misspeak. Happens to all of us in the industry that I, I work in. And every once in a while, somebody will say, did you really mean that? And I'll say, oh, no, of course I, I didn't. But, you know, in Biden's case, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was misspeaking or whether he was just legitimately 
confused. Now, when you've seen these town hall events that they've done, I think pretty much everybody would agree that it's it's been pretty much a whole bunch of softballs that have been kind of lobbed at him. And the real question becomes is, at the age of 78, somebody who has a, a very, very distinguished career, but has he has he lost it? Um, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, when, when I teased this topic earlier, I got a number of texts saying, we don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Biden is just completely and totally senile. We don't care. We hate Trump so much. We would vote for anybody other as long as you're living and breathing. Anybody other than Donald Trump would be a good choice. Okay, and and I'm sure that there's a lot of people that feel that way. But I want to have this conversation and this I, I. this bothered me during the entire electoral process where we were selecting a presidential candidate. Yet Bernie Sanders, you know, the, the leading candidates were all people, all people who were, I don't know, closer to 80 than they were to, to 60. And at some point in time, you kind of wonder, all right, is, is this an issue? Has has mental acuity you know, dropped off? Do you have a concern about how with it Joe Biden is and whether he's up to the job. I mean, the second, look, I, I'm a huge fan of Ronald Reagan. I believe Ronald Reagan was the greatest American president in my lifetime. But there, there's no question, Ronald Reagan went downhill dramatically in his second term, particularly the last couple of years. And Ronald Reagan at that time was younger than somebody like Joe Biden will be when he first gets elected. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Sue in Green Bay. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Sue. I, just, I, really, I really think that Biden has more in his mind than Trump has ever had in his mind and biden even if he is getting older and he's made a mistakes how many mistakes has uh trump made and biden will listen to his advisors he won't uh if you know if they don't agree with him he's not going to go fire them right away as trump has i just i can't imagine how anybody thinks that trump has a half a brain i really don't get it well okay i now it's with, with president trump you might disagree with his policies or you might think that he's a lousy human being or you might think that he's a pathological liar i i I get all that sort of stuff but but you know senile or things like that do you really think he's he's losing or do you just think that i I just you just don't like anything that he does i think you know i think trump has done some good things but the majority of them no he has not done many good things and i just I don't know. I think there's something wrong with Trump. I really do mentally. I'm I'm serious. I know people are going to call in and disagree, but there's something wrong with the man. And also, I'm wondering, have you ever addressed this payroll tax that he's talking about that's going to take the money out of Social Security? Well, I mean, think, I mean OK, I've, so I don't want to get too far afield. But but yes, I have. And, and actually, it's not taking. Right. I think that's a bad idea. Um, What you're talking about is delaying the payroll tax till the end of the year so people get more money short term and then have to end up paying it back. I think that's a bad idea. I don't think our employer is doing it. I urge them not to do it. But but all this thing that's going to hurt Social Security, that that's again, that that's not true. That's because the money's going to end up getting paid back. It's just a deferral. But I think it's a bad idea. But I don't want to get too far afield. 855-616-1620. I guess I, I am frustrated. And it's tough to do this topic without sounding like you're, you're ageist. And I'm really not. But 
I don't know. At some point in time, I mean, I watched Joe Biden. And, and again, I understand why people have all these issues with Donald Trump. But I, I mean, I watched Joe Biden and I am concerned that he is starting to lose cognitive functions. And I guess it is frustrating to me that the, it is frustrating to me that, that the choice we have for the leader of the free world are, are two people who are both in their mid to late 70s. Um, let's talk to Troy in Door County. Troy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Troy. You are really, you're digging deep today trying to come up with a good conversation because Trump is no spring chicken, as you just said, yep. which is true. Um, I think our country, and, and look at Ruth Bader Gibbs, uh, whatever her last name, Ginsburg, Ginsburg right? 87, right. 88, whatever. Our country needs some politicians who are 50-ish, and we got to get them to the, you know, to come in with somebody that's more tractable. Um, I, like your previous caller, I wouldn't even think about voting on Trump, and I've said this on your show before, just because of his character and his ethics. And he lies and lies and lies. And I cannot believe, like the previous caller says, that anybody with any common sense could vote for that guy. If you can throw away the Republican name tag. And that's what's hurting our country. And I I really believe our country is in such deep hole, not only because of the election, but other things are coming on because it's so much politically driven. Mm -hmm. And it's just very, very sad. I don't know what our future is, but, you know, you said it right at the end there. You kind of said we got to come up with a better option for both, and I agree with you 100%. Uh, thanks, Nicole. I mean, I guess it was just, I was, I was watching the, the political process play out, and look, and, and here's the thing, and if, and if you've if you've watched the process of, of aging, what what happens is, again, sometimes people go along at a different route, and then it, it's kind of like you fall off a cliff. That that kind of, I, I think, is what happened to President Reagan at, at the end. I, I mean, I think the Ronald Reagan who was elected in 1980 was not the Ronald Reagan who who left office in in 1988. I mean, I think you know what what happened is the aging caught up with him. I, I seriously, and I understand people are going to take this as a knock on Biden. One of the reasons I want to watch these debates is, and I I, I don't. I, look, I am not naive enough to think that this is going to change the dynamic dramatically, but I, I sincerely question whether or not, you know, Joe Biden has lost his fastball. Now, you can lose your fastball and you can still get by with a good changeup, and, and maybe that's the case. And I understand for a lot of people it doesn't matter because it's going to, the vote is going to be anybody but Trump. I mean, our first two callers just, again, despise President Trump. I, I'm not arguing that one way or the other. If you do, you, you do. But, I guess I, I wonder, for example, and I don't mean to pick on just one example of misspeaking because it, it believe me, I understand it can happen to anybody. But when, you know, when, when you sit there and say, OK, we, we've had 200 million people that have died off of uh, as a result of COVID-19 and you mean 200,000. Is is that real? Did you misspeak or did you just not get it? We continue the conversation in a moment. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Here's a text, Jeff. Trump can't pronounce Thailand and several other words. Does that make him uneducated and unfit to lead? Okay, this isn't a conversation about educated or uneducated. It's a question of, I I don't know, if if people are starting to, because of, of age or whatever, show signs of cognitive impairment. Is that a factor that you should consider? Now, I understand, and if, if you hate Donald Trump, 
you, you, you hate Donald Trump. I get it. And other people are pointing out, well, you know, if you look at Trump now versus Trump 15 years ago, he's showing signs of cognitive decline. And that might very well be that this is not that discussion. This, though, is a discussion about should we be worried if Biden is showing that? I started this off by saying that I, I know people who work with Joe Biden over the years, and, and they tell me Joe Biden now is dramatically different than the Joe Biden of even five years ago. And I think that that is I think it's fair to say that's a legitimate concern. And you can raise those same issues against President Trump, which is one of my frustrations is that, you know, our, our choices are people who are you know closer to 80 than they are to, to 65. Let's talk to Jason in Tomahawk. Hi, Jason. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Jeff. Sure. I, I, I would say between Biden and Trump, neither one of them are going to go and win the Jeopardy contest. But I don't think you need the smartest person in that job. You have to get smart people around you. And one thing I like about Trump, you can tell he's doing a good job because both sides hate him. And the previous callers, oh, anybody that can side with them, there's something wrong with them. That's what's wrong with politics now. Why does there have to be something wrong with you because you support the other party? Because you have different ideas. There's something wrong with you? That's how... You can never have a conversation about politics when you're starting from a point like that. Well, Jason, I got to tell you, you should, you should look at my texts and emails on a regular sort of basis because it's just, ow, it, it, there, there, there is no nuance. Okay, I, I just kind of raise this question. It's one of the reasons that I think that, you know, the, the debates are, look, I, I don't know that there's anybody out there that is what I would call persuadable. I think most people have made up their minds on this, but I think the debates are going to be interesting because it's going to be the first sort of environment where, at least recently, you've had Joe Biden out there off the teleprompter, theoretically not being asked softball questions. And the question is going to be, you know, how well does he perform? I think expectations are, are relatively low um, for that. But I, I think it's going to be interesting to see. But I, I will tell you, again, I go back to the basic premise. At some point in time, maybe it would have been nicer to have choices of people who weren't quite, like I say, closer to 80 than they are to 65. And that comes from a position, from a perspective of somebody who's at least closer to 65 than I am to 45. All right, back with more in just a couple of minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right, so over the weekend, I was at a couple of different events talking to friends and soon-to-be friends, it's just people. And, and I will tell you, that the thing I am hearing out on the street is very similar to what I am hearing and the feedback I'm getting on Twitter and on my email accounts and things like that. And, and that is that, that people are just on their last nerve. And, and by that, I mean... There's a degree of frustration that's out there. As we've talked about, we were talking about politics in the first couple segments of the program. And, and, and if, if, if you're just tuning in, there, there is no secret when I tell you that, that people, people see things now in more of a, just a, a black and white perspective than ever before. I'm talking about just one side or the other with absolutely no nuance. You, if you do not like President Trump, for example, you hate President Trump. You think he is an evil man. You think he is the Antichrist. 
who is out to destroy the, the country. If, on the other hand, you like President Trump, well, you, you think that, gosh, he, he's this guy that just has this insight into things that most of the rest of us do not have and that there's no flaws at all. Or if the guy has flaws, it's all because it's some some sort of master plan. Um, and that's just kind of the price of greatness. But there's no in between. I don't know. I don't know too many people. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not sure. I can think of anybody right now, for example, who has any sort of nuanced opinion on on President Trump. It's either one way or the other, and and, and that kind of plays out on on other things as well. Whether it's like the social justice movements. Well, it's either I can't believe these people are protesting, or of course people are protesting, and and yeah, we don't think it's a great thing to burn down buildings. But what the heck? You know, sometimes you need to do that to get the message out. I'm I'm just saying it's there's no. There is no in-between at all. And then on top of all that, you look at some of the, the things that are going on in the world right now. So you've got... You've got the elections and you've got all that stress. You've got the the social justice movements and, and how that has divided the, the country. And, of course, you overlay all that on, on the pandemic that, that is going on. And there's – see, there, there's no question we have all been affected by the pandemic. Now, now maybe – Maybe COVID-19 is just a nuisance to you. Oh, we, we've got to wear a mask when we go out and we, we can't go to, you know, see the brewers play at home. So maybe it's a, it's a nuisance. Maybe it's something that's more than a nuisance, but it's real, been a real game changer. Maybe you've lost your job. I was just exchanging emails with a friend of mine who, um, had a very, very, what he thought was a very, very secure job. And he kind of had his roadmap planned out between, you know, now and, and retirement. Because what he believed was a secure job, the, the industry was pretty solid, et cetera, et cetera. Well, COVID-19 rolls around, and next thing you know, his business just gets absolutely crippled. So nobody saw it coming, and they end up, Ultimately, you know, laying off three quarters of the workforce without any idea at all as to when when they're going to be bringing people back. And, you know, even when they bring people back, there's no guarantee that he's going to be one of those people. So all of a sudden, you know, you thought, gosh, my, the, the next 10 years, they're just they're, they're, this is what I'm going to do. And then, you know, that's going to take me up to retirement and I'll be all set. And all of a sudden, boom, you know, you're in your middle 50s and, you know, the, the war, the floor has been pulled out from under you um, through, again, no fault of your own, thanks to COVID. So there, there's some people, COVID-19, the pandemic, a nuisance. There's other people. It's been a, a real, real game changer as well. So you've got that going on. Then, oh, this, this just recounting the list kind of wears me down. Then you've got all the, the climate things that are going on. You, you've got the you know, you've got the the fires in in California. You've got the hurricane that that hits you know Florida. You've got all the other issues with are going on. So you've got all this one thing after another, a constant barrage of of just stuff. And I was talking to a couple of people, like I said over the weekend, and the general consensus was, and this was some younger people, and it was some older people, and the genuine the the general consensus was. 2020, the worst year ever. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Has this been the worst year ever? And and again, I understand for, and and asking this question, I I want to talk kind of of big picture. I, I understand that, 
you know, maybe you can point to situations. Well, no, my, my worst year was, you know, I, I, my, my spouse passed away. So that was, you know, 20 whatever was a really bad year. Or, you know, my, my mom died and that's, I still, I'm still not over that. So that was bad. But, but those are, are individual specific things. This is sort of like one thing after another. And I ask this because I think a lot of question people would honestly answer the question, yeah, this is the worst year ever. And I think that that attitude that's out there, I think it's wearing on our national psyche. I think it's it's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people are are just depressed. And, you know, we're, we're hoping that 2020 is going to be better. 2021 is going to be better. But there's there's no guarantee. I mean, heck, we had a guy that called up earlier today. said, well, I don't think kids should be back in school until there's a vac- there's a vaccine available. And it's widely distributed, which might not be for a couple years. 855-616-1620. All right. When I say 2020 worst year ever. Do you agree or disagree? We discuss. If you're in the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, it's not the worst year ever. I've worked all the way through. My 401k is doing okay. Gas is less than two bucks. Uncle Sam sent my family 2400 and all four of us contracted and survived COVID at our house. Okay, um, let's see. Um Jeff, I don't want to discount people's troubles, but 1944, World War II, or 1865, um, 1918, 19, that would be World War I, World War II, that still uh, wins. Jeff, the year has sucked, yes. I agree, but personally, I've been working overtime throughout the entire thing. Luckily, I've not been sick. I have missed out on a lot of things I wanted to do, but if you realistically compare it to World War II, um, World War I, the Dust Bowl, the Great Depression, I can't even compare as the worst year ever. That's from Brian. Uh, Jeff, worst year in my lifetime. We have a new baby in the family, and I'm actually making a time capsule for the baby so he can open when he is older and see what his birth year was like. Jeff, despite COVID and all the things going on in the nation this year has dealt us more blessings and problems for my family and I. No one caught COVID. My second son was born. When I was laid off, we used the extra money to pay off our student debt, became an uncle for the first time, and both my wife and I are now employed again. Um, Jeff, worst year ever? No. Most challenging year? Yes. I believe this year will make us stronger and wiser. One word sums it up. Unbelievable. Jan in Milwaukee says, Jeff, this is the worst year by far. Jeff, I'm 62. I just, I love it. The, the text on this. Jeff, I'm 62, and I can say this is the worst year by far. My mom is 98 with a great memory, and she says yes as well. More personal disruption than the Great Depression, polio, measles, other pandemics, even World War II. Okay, let's start with uh, Greg. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, is it the worst year? It's a horrible year. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I would actually, uh, obviously, very few or if any of us lived through the Great Depression, I would think that would be worse. But actually, in 2001, after 9-11, if you were in any type of business and you had to react to that, I, I was actually at that time bringing in rail cars from both Mexico and Canada, and that, that disruption, people, you know, uh, mm-hmm. okay, me may not have affected everyone, 
but uh, the product that I was producing at the time, it, it sure did uh, actually affect everyone. The same as it did with uh, a lot of uh, you know commodities uh, mm-hmm. it did earlier this year as well. But the thing is, I, I think we got to look at it. It's we face challenges. Uh, the world wars were obviously huge. Uh, the depression was huge. Um, but we we face these challenges. We come through. And uh, that, that is a great thing. And But this one is a little bit different. This does not just affect the United States. It affects it the, world. the world. So yeah. Yeah. My, my, my big question is, where are we going to be in... Uh, you know, in a year from now. Well, in, you know, that, that's good. no. Thanks to Greg. You know, you're you're that that's that that's exactly right. You know, it was um we were if if everything had gone according to Hoyle, we would have. I this would have been my first day back from our our trip to Normandy. We we're scheduled to take a river cruise to Normandy, and that was supposed to be last week. And of course, that got put off because there there's no international travel. And we're you know we got a large group that they've delayed it for a year. And I, I for example, I, I very much very much want to go, and I, I'm hoping it it works out. I, I'm hoping that you know by September of 2021, we're going to have some sense of normalcy, and you're going to be able to to see the world. I want to see the world. World. I mean, I, I, I want to be able to do those things. And and I think it is kind of that uncertainty going back again to an earlier conversation we were having when, you know, somebody calls up and says, well, I don't think we should have kids in school until there's a vaccine. Oh, my God. Well, that, you know, a, a readily available vaccine, maybe it'll be a few months, but it could be. I don't know. It could be the end of 2021, et cetera. I mean, who knows? But it's all these different things. And and I, I guess, I mean, I, I wasn't alive during World War One. I. I wasn't alive during World War II. I wasn't alive during the Great Depression. I, I will say that I think 2020 has been as challenging a year on all these different fronts as any any other year that I have been alive. So I would say it's certainly the most challenging year of my my lifetime. And to your point, I mean, right, September 11th, 2001, I mean, just absolutely horrible. But that was a horrible event. And it did have economic ramifications. But here, you know, we, we have COVID-19, which has the economic ramifications. And then you have the the hurricanes and you have all this other stuff. Seems like we're getting hit with a whole bunch of stuff all at once. John in Illinois. John, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, John. Um, I think challenging is the best word. Uh, my personal uh, this year has been really, really challenging. I lost my father unexpectedly beginning of March. I lost my mother-in-law two weeks yeah. later unexpectedly. I lost my best friend as I held his hand uh, four weeks later. My wife and I, she was furloughed, and my business, which I'm independent, went down to nothing. Uh, but at the same point, as uh, awful as that sounds, and I'm not trying to compare myself to there's people that have had much worse, uh, challenging the right word. My mother grew up in Scotland. Uh, bombs were dropping on her, and uh, she lost two brothers uh, in the war. So it can always get worse, I guess. So yeah. challenging is a, is a good word to look at. And uh, it's been a really, really tough year, and I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy I have my health. My wife has her health. My grown children have their health. My granddaughter has their health. Right. So it could always be worse, I guess, right? I, well, then I think that's I think that's the attitude, th- thanks for the call, that you, you have to have. I have a uh, – somebody sent me this image. You remember Snoopy? The Charles, uh, the, the Charles Schultz character, you know, Snoopy sitting on a, he's sitting on his doghouse and he's, and he's typing a, a letter on an old, like, typewriter back when we used to have typewriters. And the caption says, 
Dear 2020, first of all, I would like you to, I would, dear 2020, first of all, I would like to let you know I'm typing this with my middle finger. <laughs> just, and I guess I, I kind of feel that way as well. It, it's just, I, I don't want to sound Pollyanna about this because I, I understand that we can't just all get along. I've been doing this job long enough to know that, but I do think that there's, there's just, it seems to me that, that people are just flat out. I mean, everybody is just on an edge, and it's like one thing after another. And and stuff that normally we let slip or let slide, stuff that it wouldn't necessarily be the be-all, end-all, because we're we're all on our, our last nerve, then then we just kind of react accordingly. I mean, I, I, I can't around. Some, sometime I'll, I'll read some of, like, the email I get, like, at 4 o'clock in the morning. People are up there, and they're just agitated, and they're writing these, like, nasty things at 4 o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, man, the only time I'm up at 4 o'clock in the morning is if I have to go to the bathroom or i got to catch an early flight. And you're up, and you're writing some angry thing to some person person you don't know it's just like but I, I get it we're just all we're just all our nerves are frayed uh jen in green bay you're on wtmj hi jeff hi. how are you i'm well thank you how are you I, i'm good we're doing good i was just saying to your screener we've had blessings you know my daughter was a senior and school let out early and i got to have her home before she left for college which was great now she's in texas and is going great but i've got two other kids that are in school and you know they were fun loving gregarious adventurous kids and now they've become almost they've become so sheltered and reserved and one of them almost if she's like um, agoraphobic she doesn't want to leave the house right she doesn't meet people and it's just it's taken such a toll on the kids today um they're missing out on so much oh yeah i think that's that's something we're going to be we're going to be battling in the future is the mental health of these kids and how they're dealing with the stress of the situation. No, I, I think you're onto something, Jen. I mean, I feel I feel so bad for kids that are. I, I, I mean, okay, my my I've said this before. You know, my niece is a senior at San Diego State. She was supposed to be in Madrid studying this semester. Now it's not the end of the world and all, but it's yeah. it, it's you you have this once in a lifetime chance to have these experiences, and that's that's gone. And I, I mean, play that out with kids who are you know used to playing college, high school football or basketball, and you've lost that opportunity. It's it's all the those different things that are out there that just i don't know 2020 is i don't know if it's the worst year ever but it's certainly not a good year and i i can't wait for new year's to come i gotta tell you yeah absolutely and i keep hearing for you bet thanks no right i mean i and again i i just i just i hope i I don't want to say 2021 can't be worse because it can of course be worse i'm just i'm just talking about the general stuff for our psyche this is jeff wagner